I want to jump right into our passage this morning because I have a lot of, a um, bit more application than normal this morning. But I, let, me, let me introduce the, the idea this way. Uh, one of the dangers in our tradition, our tradition, the, be- the beauty I think of our tradition, I'm talking about the Reformed Evangelical uh, world that we live in, um, is that we rightfully are fervent that the, the Bible is written as a uh, revelation of God's salvation. Um, we, are, we hold fast to the gospel. The fi- 500th anniversary of the Reformation is coming up at the end of this month. Uh, we'd love, to be a part, we'd love for you to be a part of that, by the way. We've got weekend plans for that. But uh, the, the tenets of the Reformation, uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, justification, by faith alone, uh, not apart, not with works um, are we saved. And all of that is so true. Uh, however, the danger um, of this emphasis is that we miss the fact that even though Jesus is all about uh, our salvation primarily, that he is the hero, he is the redeemer, he is our only hope and comfort in life and death, as we said, that's all true. But sometimes our tradition forgets to remember that he is also our example that we're supposed to be following. I want to read a tweet from a very popular um, writer, author, speaker in our tradition, our denomination. Love him. I agree with so much of what he says. He's meant the world to me. But I found this, I found this interesting, uh, way, interesting way to put it. People think a, this is what he said. People think a Christian is one who follows Christ's teaching and example. But Jesus is not primarily a teacher. He's a rescuer. Now, I, I get what he's saying there, and it's true what he's saying there. And I really like that he says that he's not primarily a teacher, acknowledging that he is a teacher. But this notion that those, those are not mutually exclusive, this notion that Jesus is just a rescuer and he's not a teacher with an example to follow is not true. And the Upper Room Discourse holds this tension really well, where two weeks ago we looked at uh, Jesus as the, re- as the rescuer, Jesus as the Savior, washing our feet. I've got to wash you. I've got to wash you. I've got to serve you. Gospel, gospel, gospel. But he does then turn around now and say, and you've got to do this too. Literally, you ought to do as I do. You can't get more specific than that. And so now it's going to turn to us, specifically to this community, and talk about what would it look like to live out what has been done to us, Christ washing our feet, what would it look like to wash each other's feet? I'm going to ask two questions uh, this morning from the passage. The, the first is the question that Jesus asks. I want to answer that question. That, that's probably important. So th- this is the question that Jesus asks. Do you, understand what Jesus, do you understand what Jesus has done to you? That's what he's going to say. Do you understand what I've done to you? Then the second one, and where we're going to spend a lot more time and talk a lot of application um, is the question that I'm asking here in my sermon. Do you think you're better than Jesus? So do you understand what Jesus is doing to us? And do you think you're better than Jesus? Let's start with his question, verse 12. When he had washed their feet, put on his outer garment, he resumed his place, he said, do you understand what I have done to you? Now, we think the answer to that is obvious. And our answer is a gospel answer, as it should be. 
yes, we understand what you have done to us. Jesus, you've washed our feet. And that is a preview of your ultimate act of humiliation where you die to wash our sins. We know what you have done here, Jesus. You have demonstrated the nature of your gospel by humbling yourself to become a slave and serve the people that follow you. All that's true. But that's not the direction Jesus takes it. Jesus takes it this direction. He's going to say, here's what I've done to you. By doing this act to you, I have now bound you to this very act. Verse 13, you call me, this is what I've done to you. You call me teacher and Lord and you're right for so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Now, what's interesting about the uh, juxtaposition that he sets up here is whom he thinks we ought to be serving. We would expect him to say, and, and, and it would flow a little bit more naturally if he said, I have washed your feet, therefore you should wash my feet. I serve you, you serve me. But instead he says, if I have served you, then you serve not me, but one another. But here's the point. To Jesus, the two are the one and the same. This is to serve Jesus. Jesus doesn't need our service. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. He doesn't need us to serve him. We need him to serve us. So instead, the way that we serve him is by serving others. Love for Christ is concretely expressed in love for others. We are slaves to Christ by enslaving ourselves to neighbor. And I, I do mean slaves. I chose that word right. That's the whole point he, he, here. Um, he, didn't, he didn't choose an act that was just helping them out. He chose an act of slavery. So, in other words, it, it, it's not this. He didn't lend them a hand and say, since I helped you out, you should help others out. That'd be a good old-fashioned gentleman principle. I helped you, you should help other people. No, he acted like a slave. And then he says, you ought to do the same to one another. What he's doing here, what Jesus has done by performing the lowliest of acts is effectively bind us to any and all forms of service. If our Lord went to the bottom of humiliation, and if you were there a couple weeks ago, we talked about that. This is, this is it. This is, this is a, a Gentile slave in the, pay, in the ancient world. If our Lord went to the bottom of humiliation, then where can he not call you to go? If the Lord is the lowliest, then what, pray tell, is beneath you? The answer, of course, is nothing. And so what Jesus has done, when he says, do you know what I've done to you? Here's the answer. You've trapped us. If you, as a follower of Jesus, ever say that someone or something is beneath you, then you are saying you think you are better than Jesus. That's what you're saying. And that's the point he emphasizes here in verse 16. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. That's what he's saying. I've trapped you. I got you. You're not greater than me. If you as a follower of Jesus ever say that something is beneath you, that's what you're saying. I'm better than Jesus. 
And it's only here in the gospel of God. This is where the gospel does come in. It's only here in the gospel of God as a slave that we are trapped into such humility and service. There's a common theme to religions that historians and sociologists are very quick to point out. Religions intrinsically create divisions and and meritocracy structures wherever they go. Wherever religions go, they divide. Ethnicities, classes, status, all these different things. And the reason is, is that by their very nature, they have to divide because a religion is a deity or a philosophy with rules that we are expected to follow. That's what a religion is. It's either a deity or a philosophy with what you're supposed to do. And those who do it are rewarded. Those who don't do it are punished. And so in this way, the entire system runs on merit. The entire system runs on I'm better than you and I'm trying to prove it. And it creates self-righteous divisions. But, and this is what Jesus has done when he says, do you know what I've done to you? What happens when your religion is a God who washes the feet of those who call him God? What has he done? He has shattered all self-righteous structures and no follower of this God can ever say, I'm better than you or I'm above that. Your God has trapped you into humble service by humbly serving you. So that's the, that's the answer to the first question that he's asking you. Do you know what I have done to you? The answer is that he has bound us to any and all forms of humility and service unless, and this is where I want to spend most of our time, unless, of course, you think you're better than Jesus. He has bound you to all forms of humility and service unless you're willing to say you're better than Jesus. Unless you're willing to say that the servant is greater than the master. And this is where I really want to press in. With application and honestly, some real soul-searching work. Do you think you're better than Jesus? Do you think you're better? He's, he has set it up so that any time you say, I'm better than that, I'm more important than that. I'm too good for that. He has set it up so in saying that, you're saying you're better than him. Do you think you're better than Jesus? Let's pause and struggle with that question together. Now, I know every single one of us would say no to that question. Obviously. No, I'm not better than Jesus. But if you will allow your life to be examined under the critique of this passage, I think you are going to find what I found this week as I was doing this, a troubling and shameful pattern of acting like I'm better than Jesus. We need to start here with the most direct application from the text. If you are visiting with us uh, this morning, um, or you would not call yourself a follower of Jesus this morning, you need to know for this next few minutes, um, I'm talking to our people. Um, Because that is the most direct application of uh, of the passage. It, it, it's going to be family talk for a minute, okay? Uh, because uh, his, his application is he looks at these 12 disciples and he says, um, you, ought to, you ought to wash each other's feet. He wants to create this community that is emulating him in his 
service. And I just felt the need for, for us to do that this week. So apply it however you want here. Um, if, you're, if you're visiting with us and you, you're, you, you worship at another local congregation, that's fantastic. Take these as applications back to your church. If you're not a follower of Jesus, um, thank you for being here. Maybe just listen in and say, boy, would I like to be a part of a community that lives this out? Because um, it is beautiful, but it's difficult. Jesus says to his disciples, I have washed your feet, you have to wash one another's feet. The first and primary application has to do with Christian community. Not washing the feet of the poor in the city, very important. Not washing the feet of your um, unbelieving neighbor, very important. Not washing the feet of all the needs out there, all of it's really important, but it starts here. If you do not approach this community like a humble foot-washing servant, then you are acting like you are better than Jesus. Do you think you are above this community? I understand that the direct application is wash feet. And I understand, and this is done, I think the women's retreat did it last week, and I think it's a beautiful thing to do sometimes, is they had a foot-washing ceremony where they washed each other's feet. And I know that's done in Christian circles a lot, and that's wonderful. Um, and I, I think it's very powerful to do that. But I also would like to say this. Um, <laughs> foot washing isn't as applicable here. We need to press further and say, say, what am I unwilling to do in Christian community? Uh, we need to press foot washing that whole imagery for what it really means to live this out in a community. And it's this. Do you think that you are above this community? We talked about it last week. But if you slip in, out, slip in and out of this church in relative anonymity, then you're acting like you're above this community. If you look at things like parish groups or other fellowship opportunities and say, other people need that, but I don't because I've got my friends who all happen to be just like me, is the way it usually works, then you're acting like you're above community. If there are people in this room that you avoid for whatever reason that may be, then you are acting like you are above community. If you are a longtime attender of this church but do not want to submit to this church through the vows of church membership, then you are acting like you are better than this community. If you expect or demand your preferences to be prioritized and you get upset or perhaps you're one of the people who goes church to church to church because they're not meeting your preferences. But if you expect or demand your preferences be prioritized and get upset when they are not being met, then you're acting like you're better than this community. Preferences are big on this discussion, okay? Preferences are huge on this discussion. What you do with your preferences are prob I'm talking about the, the things that are not the right or wrong, orthodoxy, doxology, none of that, n nothing orthodox, but just here's my preferences. If what you do with your preferences is probably the biggest indicator of whether or not you think you are better than this community. Because if your expectation is that this community conform to what you want, then you are literally saying to this community, you need to be washing my feet. You are demanding your preferences is demanding your feet get washed around here. And I, I say that with preferences. You need to know that if I had 
all of the say, which the beauty of Presbyterianism is I don't. If I had all the say, things will look different here. There are things that we do that not my thing. There are things, a lot of things we do that I love. But I'm saying this to myself. If I walk into this and say, I demand my preferences get, hold the day here, I'm saying I demand you wash my feet. A couple months ago, we were in a bit of a bind musically. Uh, nearly all of our musicians were out of town. And um, rap and run musicians. So we, we asked uh, our uh, downtown folks, Justin uh, Carlson, his downtown musicians, to come join us at Rapid Run and lead us in worship. It was a wonderful Sunday. But I, I want to be as honest and vulnerable as I can be from this pulpit. I dreaded that Sunday. Why would a pastor of a church dread and fear a Sunday? And you know why. I'm scared to come to church with a new music style because I have discovered what so many other pastors have discovered for whatever reason. I actually think I know a lot of the reasons because I think it's the power of music. For whatever reason, no preferences are more fervent than musical preferences. Instead of sharing you difficult conversations that I had, um, difficult emails that came my way from that Sunday, I want to tell you about one person, what one person said to me. I love this person. Um, not just because they said this to me, I, I've always appreciated this person um, who, who's, who's different than me. This person loves our music here. Probably one of the main reasons they, they started attending here was because of our music. You know what he said to me after that Sunday? He came up and said, hey, I just wanted you to know I love that. Um, wish we did that a little bit more, which was a shock to me because I know this person. And, uh, and, and I said, really? I didn't think that was your thing. He said, oh, no, that's not my thing. <laughs> he said, but it sure was a lot of their thing. I saw a lot of people enjoying that. And I loved it. Those are words of someone who does not think they are better than this community. Those are words of someone who says, I'm here to wash feet, not to have my feet washed. While I'm stepping on toes here, let me give you another one. Um, I'm going to Scotland for 10 days, so... Uh, <laughs> Let me, let me talk about one that, that's, that uh, preachers don't talk about much because it feels awkward to talk about. Um, if you're a member of this church or a regular attender of this church, but you're not tithing to, to this church, you're approaching your resources and wealth as though it belongs to you for your purposes of serving you and your lifestyle rather than the needs and purposes of church and the kingdom of God, then you're acting like you're above community. Plain and simple, when it comes to Christian community, what we do with our preferences and what we do with our money are probably the biggest indicator of whether we think we are better than this community. Whether we think this community should be washing our feet or we should be washing the feet of this community. And the point of all these examples, and, and those of you who know my preaching, I, you know, th that... I'm really pressing on an application this week because I think that's what the text is asking us to do. But the point of all of these examples is that if you are acting like you are better than this community, then you are acting like you're better than Jesus is the point of the passage. You need to know that if Jesus were a part of this community, he would, metaphorically speaking, wash the feet of this community. That is how he would approach this place. He would 
He would know this community in the most intimate ways. He would be known by this community in the most intimate ways. He would love every person in this room, quirks and all. He would serve this community. He would prioritize the preferences of others in this community. He would sacrifice all that he had for this community. He would give away what he had to this community. He would be a slave to Taste Creek Presbyterian Church. In fact, the Lord Jesus is a slave to Taste Creek Presbyterian Church and every local church within Christ's church. That's his role, is a servant of the church. And so chances are, when it comes to Christian community, you're like me, which I found this week. Again, I, this, is, this comes to me before you. you. You probably think you're better than Jesus. Now, community is the main application here, but um, I do want to press this out even further. Um, just because I know that this applies out to so many areas of life. This principle can be broadened out in so many ways. So um, let me just throw some that come, come out of this text um, directly. Uh, do, you, do you think you're above forgiveness? Think you're too good for forgiveness? Too good to love your enemies? Um, Jesus didn't skip Judas while he was washing the feet here, knowing full well what Jesus, Jesus was about to do. Now, this is important for those of you wrestling with forgiveness in your life, maybe abuse, something like that. He did confront Judas, very honestly, and he did have the courage to let Judas go without running off into the night saying, come back, Judas, come back, Judas, I'm sorry, let's talk. He, he said, you go to your thing, Judas. But he washed his feet. I think of Peter here, how hard it must have been. You know, Judas, I think, I think Peter stings more than Judas, don't you? Judas is just a hard-hearted, unrepentant, wolf in sheep's clothing, betrayer of Jesus. Peter's a friend. Peter is a friend who's going to deny Jesus in his greatest hour of need, but he washed both their feet. Do you think you are better than the people that have hurt you? If you don't come to them to be reconciled, and listen, they may not want to be reconciled. They may be done with you, but at least if you don't come and try to be reconciled, if you don't fight the fight of forgiveness, if you don't put to death bitterness in your heart, if you don't pray for them, then you think you're better than Jesus who washed his enemy's feet. We could talk about prejudice. Prejudice is just flat out saying, I'm above you, period. <laughs> it is the definition, is I'm better than you. Talk about the racism in our hearts. We can talk about how we view the poor. We can talk about the way we view those outside our political tribe, which is so huge in our day, um, in our deeply partisan and polarized society. Uh, chances are, if you're a passionate conservative, then you think you're better than progressives. If you're a passionate progressive, you think you're better than conservatives. It's not just we disagree, it's I'm better than you. You need to know that any and all prejudice says, I'm better than Jesus Christ. I'm going to throw this one out because I read an article this week that just destroyed me. Let's talk about pornography. read an article this week that was absolutely devastating of what, what this epidemic is becoming. They were trying to measure the effects of pornography usage in our digital, digital age, and the most difficult part of the study was finding a control group, meaning they couldn't find anybody who hadn't viewed online pornography as a control group to test the results. So this is a huge issue. It's an epidemic, not just out there in this room, and I know that. Do you know what pornography is? The literal antithesis of this foot washing ceremony in our passage. 
It says to another human being, you literally exist as an object to meet my needs. You are a commodity for my own gratification. I can't think of any act that says I'm better than you than the act of viewing pornography. And if that's what you're doing, then you think you're better than Jesus. Marriage and family. It's the topic of our Good of the Bluegrass conference, so I wanted to talk about that. It's going to be an amazing conference. Start looking toward it. If you view marriage as a spouse, if you got married to get a spouse to meet your needs, then you think you are above that spouse and you think you're better than Jesus. If your spouse wants to get help and work on their marriage, but you're refusing to do so, then you think you are above asking for help. You are better than your spouse who wants to ask for help, which means you think you're better than Jesus. If you despise the mundane details and demands of parenting, and believe me, I know how endless they are, I know how difficult they are, but if you despise them and check out and neglect and just zone out from the calling of parenting, do you know what you're saying? I'm above parenting. I'm too good for this. I'm better than this. I'm too good to be serving my kids, which means you think you're better than Jesus. If you're not married and don't have kids and hate your life because of it, if you think you are incomplete and your life is meaningless until you get married, then you're acting like you're better than Jesus, who was single. So listen, I can go on and on with applications today. Um, This is far more than I normally do, and I understand that. I would love for you all to carry this on into your parish groups tonight. Where, where in your life, when you look at your life, where, do you, where, is it, where are you acting like you're better than Jesus? But I think you're seeing my point. We would never say it. We would never say it, but our life says it. We actually act like we are better than Jesus. We actually think we are too good to wash feet like Jesus washed feet. All right. What do we do with that? This is the most depressing 10 minutes of a sermon, and we all feel terrible. Like, I thought I was a sinner. Wow, that's bad. I act like I'm better than Jesus. What do I even do with that? Here's what I would suggest. Return to Jesus and let him wash your feet. Bring your pride. Bring your sin. Bring your shame. Bring your arrogance. Bring your pathetic ability to follow the example of your Lord and say, wash me, Savior, or I die. And he is always eager to wash you. He is not above it. He is always eager. He is always willing. We're not better than Jesus, but we have the audacity to act like we are. But Jesus is better than us, and he has the audacity to act like he's not. Look one more time at verse 15. I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Notice the tenses there. You go do what I have already done to you. Before he asks us to wash other feet, Others' feet, he has washed ours. And what happens when you let Jesus wash you? What happens when the one who is infinitely better than you acts like he's less than you? What happens when you see the one you call Lord humble himself unto the cross to forgive those who act like they are better than their Lord? What happens? We already sang what happens. Love so amazing, so divine, it has applications. It demands my soul, my life, my all. Jesus creates a people who wash feet by washing his people's feet.
Jesus creates humility in us by humbling himself for us to where we are so overwhelmed by a Savior who serves me, how can I keep from serving? And it's there, following the example of Jesus, doing to others what Jesus has already done to us that we find ourselves surprised. And we're surprised by blessing. Final verse 17, then we're done. This is how he concludes it. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now we do this because Jesus has done it for us. But here's how that can be misinterpreted. I don't want to do this. A life of service towards other is going to be really hard. It would be so much better to demand everyone wash my feet to be the center of the universe. You serve me. I want my needs met. But Jesus, because you have washed my feet, I'm going to die to myself and wash others. That's wrong. What will happen is when you do it, you will discover that your death is life. You discover that you are never meant to live as though you are better, as though others exist to serve you. That's the lie of the fall. The paradoxical truth of God's design is that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so you'll do this and you will be blessed. Friends, let's not act like we're better than Jesus because we're not. Instead, let's follow Jesus. Yes, because of what he has done to us, but also knowing that it is good for us. Let me pray. Lord, as we come now to your ultimate sacrifice, a demonstration of your slavery unto death, fill us, Lord, not just because we need the assurance, but fill us because we need the strength to love others as you have loved us, to wash the feet of our marriage, our children, and people in this room that we need to be reconciled to, those difficult relationships. We, we need strength to wash feet, so we need you now to wash ours. Thank you that you have promised to do just that in this sacrament. Remember your promises. Draw near to your people in communion, we pray.